Welcome to episode 224 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. A couple weeks ago, I went for a walk with my family. I had planned to do work that morning, but it was a really nice fall day, so I decided to join them. There I was, walking hand in hand with my nearly five-year-old, teaching him how to jump with both feet over the cracks in the sidewalk. We were playing red light, green light, running as fast as we could when I said green light, and then screeching to a stop when I said red light. These small moments together with my family are more noteworthy and memorable in 2020 because we couldn't safely experience bigger family memories together. Maybe we should always appreciate the little things, but we're too busy to do so. This year has been filled with tiny surprises, little happiness bubbles that pop up unexpectedly. I experienced that when I received an event welcome box from Mary Williams. I just hired her to help me improve my systems and processes as I head into what I expect to be a very busy and exciting year of business growth. Mary was hosting an event called the Workflow Party and had invited me to attend as her guest since I was now a private coaching client. I couldn't attend, but she sent me the welcome box anyway. Imagine my delight when I open the box and has my favorite kind of cookie, tea that I enjoy, and a scented candle that doesn't bother my allergies and all sorts of other goodies. What I forgot was she had sent me a Google form that asked me my preferences before she packed the box. If she hadn't taken the time to send that form, it may have been a welcome box with my least favorite cookie, a flavor of tea I don't drink, and a scented candle that gave me headaches. The cool part was I had forgotten about the form as I first opened the box and was simply delighted. I'm setting an intention in 2021 to surprise and delight as many people as I can. I know it doesn't have to be a big gesture to be meaningful. It really is the little things. Your challenge this week, who would you like to surprise and delight? Write down a few names. What small gesture would make them feel seen and appreciated? Brainstorm a few ideas. When will you make this happen? Put it in your calendar. Detach from the outcome. Surprise and delight is not transactional. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest turns consultants into celebrities by making them thought leaders. He's a speaker for international audiences spanning from Northeastern United States to Southeastern coast of China. As the creator of Microfame Media, a marketing agency that specializes in making idea-based companies famous in their fields, some of his clients have included eBay, LinkedIn, and Citrix. His writing has appeared in Fortune, Forbes, Inc., Psychology Today, and Huffington Post. He's the author of The Hype Handbook, 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Propagandists, Self-Promoters, Cult Leaders, Mischief Makers, and Boundary Breakers. Please join me in welcoming Michael F. Shine. Thank you, Robbie. It is so great to be here. I've been a fan of the show for uh, quite some time. Michael, it's so awesome to have you join us from your home in Beacon, New York. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I don't think it's a secret that we communicated a little bit about this before the show. And, and um, you know, we traded emails and we chatted and I had to think about it a lot. You know, I was trying to think of a snappy definition. And what I realized is that I've had sort of my own journey in my relationship to this thing called leadership, because for a long time, I just sort of accepted the fact that to be successful, especially to be successful when you had your own business, you had to be a quote unquote leader. And that was this indispensable skill. And I never knew what it meant. I mean, I thought a leader meant someone who uh, commanded people or, or was in charge. I shouldn't say commanded, who was in charge. And whether you did that through yelling and screaming or maneuvering or cajoling. It had to be that you could get people to do what you wanted them to do, um, especially if you were paying them, right? So I don't mean in, in a persuasion sort of way, but that you had a team and that you were in charge of them and, and you coordinated their activities. And And even though I can do that, kind of, it's really not my strength. I mean, I've had people work for me. I have people work for me or with me. 
But um, if there's something in my profession that's my least favorite thing to do, it's that activity. It's, it's coordinating the different activities of teams. It's a necessary evil, but I depend on other people. So I said, am I not a leader? Like, is that what it comes down to? Have I, have I been successful in spite of leadership? And then I started thinking that I think something I've always been good at, I don't know if it's a universal definition, I've always been someone who gets people really excited about new ideas. So I remember I went away uh, to the Jersey Shore. I, I moved to, from Philadelphia to Florida when I was like nine. And when I was 13, I went to the Jersey Shore and my older cousin, this was like in 1990, got me into all these crazy bands I had never heard of, like the Dead Milkmen and the Sex Pistols and these, these punk bands. And I came back to Florida when everyone was listening to Motley Crue and Def Leppard and whatever CNC Music Factory. And I was like, you really got to get into this stuff. And I just made this case for this really crazy music. And before long, it had like spread through my school. And I do that with books and I do that with ideas and I do that with concepts. So I think if I've had any success at all, and even though you use the term thought leadership and I use it, it's become such a cliche that I almost don't like to use it. But maybe that's what that means. I think I'm really good at getting people really, really excited about new ideas and maybe getting them to follow along with that. So that's my definition of leadership. I'm sure it's very, very different than, say, the definition that um, Steve Ballmer has or, or Jack Walsh, but um, that's how I've done it. I love this, and I love how different it is from what other people would say about this this answer. You know, I've been doing this show now for, uh, for a few years, and, um, I, you know, in the end, it is it's not about commanding people or, you know, requiring them, but it sounds like it's, it's, it's inspiring them. Like for you, like the, the fact that you came back with this revelation that you'd had around music and you knew this new genre and right. you're like, no, no, really like this is, which is persuasion, which is, you know, uh, and then, you know, it's became the thing that everyone was doing. Um, yeah, I don't. I, t I tend to steer away from the word thought leadership too because it's been kind of overused. But yeah. you know, because I think of leadership way beyond the scope of just that one frame, and it sounds like you do too. I'm curious what kind of kid you were actually. Now that we're talking about that, like, <laughs> so Michael, take us back to the playground. You know, were you the kid organizing activities? Were you watching what was going on? Did you, like someone see you and think, oh, Michael should take on something? It's funny. So I. I uh... I read really early. So this sounds like bragging. And my mom would say that I read it too. I don't know if that's true, but I, I don't remember ever not reading. I, um, I was always writing and making up stories. It's funny because I was also very uncoordinated and my doctor used to call it poor motor skills. And even though I, I like sports, I was very bad at sports. And as a little boy, that was um, at least in that era, uh, that was challenging. You know what I mean? I mean, you took a lot of flight, but one fist fight I ever got in was because someone said I lost a race for the team or whatever. And I think I've I've learned since that um, there, there are certain learning disabilities that are that are undiagnosed where kids who are really good linguistically, they see the world through words and they have poor spatial, you know, analysis. And still I hate jigsaw puzzles and things like that. So I was sort of the smart, brainy, but also very clumsy kid. Um, I was funny, I think, goofy funny, maybe, you know, like, um, but a little bit introverted too. Um, and always making stuff up, you know? I mean, um, you know, making up stories from a very young age, drawing robots, you know, um, into comic books. Um, it's funny, I remember seeing Mad Men, where they, they an episode of Mad Men where, um, Don Draper gets divorced and um, the psychologist who he ends up dating says to him, oh, you'll be married in a few years. He's like, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, I always forget that people um, are a type. You know what I mean? And they don't realize they're a type. And I always thought I was this really unique individual. But then I see all these other people who move to areas like Brooklyn and Beacon who are, you know, kind of skinny and wear tight jeans, you know, and they were into comic books and drawing and reading. And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm like not original at all. I always thought I was so original. So I guess I was that kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love this description. It reminds me once I was at a, a college 
campus um, back when I was in school and all, saw all these people in these very punk outfits. Whatever <laughs> comes to mind is what you're, what is probably appropriate. Yeah. And I thought they probably think they're so unique. Right. I know. So. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that. Yeah. So um, this is really interesting that you, it sounds like you were also a little bit of an observer then. Um, you, you, you maybe weren't in the middle of things because of that. Yeah, I was a weird mix, you know? I, I've always thought about this. I, so I took that Susan Cain uh, introvert test or whatever recently, which who knows how accurate it uh, is, but I was literally directly on the center. So I've always been this strange conversation or uh, combination. Like I talk a lot to, to the, you know, I, I, have, I have a big mouth, I'm chatty, you know, I, 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 I'm always full of quips. Um, even to the point where I interrupt people sometimes, which is something I'm working on. But at the same time, I've never, um, I liked going to, to shows to, to see bands and things because I liked the art of it, the music, but I never was into clubbing. I was never into all that. I, nothing makes me happier. I need some alone time. Like if I'm around people too often, even though I love people, I get a little bit fried and burnout. So I'm sort of a weird combination. And I observe, I think, human behavior. I'm really bad at observing my environment. Like I'll forget what color something is or, or like I don't think I'm a visual thinker at all. It's strange. Yeah, people are all different in that way. Yeah. Um, my my wife's the one who decided that I needed color, my, my colors on my bookshelf to be, you know, the color of the rainbow, which I like the look of it. But she did it because in her mind, she remembers the color of the cover of the book. <laughs> That's the last thing I would ever do. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I get that. People are, people are all different. In that sense. <laughs> yeah. So when you were 10, 10, 11 years old, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. yeah I wanted to be a writer. I mean, I always wanted to be a writer. I mean, since I was, I, we took this creative writing class. Interestingly enough, I guess my school was kind of a cool place because they would bring in this creative writing teacher um, at uh, in like first grade. Um, and I, I remember the story. I would write stories and kids would really like them. I wrote one. They probably are up to this number now, but it was called like WrestleMania 27. And this was in like 1984 or whatever. So they were on like number two. And I think like Mr. T rode in on a spaceship or something. I don't know. But that was very popular. So I always wanted to be a writer. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I never wanted to be involved in business. That's the one thing I was never going to do. And it's funny to the context in which I now know you is through a business podcast. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about that journey. Like, uh, when when did you realize the the gifts you have to share with the world? Was it because you were showing up at, in companies and like, yeah? How did you make your way? Yeah, I, I still think of myself as a writer first, right? So I mean, it, you know, there are some people who they would do any kind of business like business is the thing that excites them. They would sell scrap metal. They would sell whatever they, they don't care. And that's awesome. That's cool. Uh, very cool. I use business as a tool to get the stuff that I want to give out into the world, out into the world, because it, it, it allows me to be in control. I have a lot of ideas. They're, they're, they're generally based in one way or another on, I don't want to say writing, but this crazy thing they call content now, which comes from writing the internet runs on words so I'm lucky in that way. And business became a channel for that. So, I mean, the short version of the story is um, that I've brought up music a few times. I, I, I got, um, I was always a reader, but I got really into music around that age of 13. And, and that was kind of, you know, something I got obsessed with and started writing songs instead of stories for a while. And I um, moved to New York after college and, and, and started a, a band. And um, you know, most bands don't quote unquote succeed. You know, we didn't end up doing that for a living, but at that time I, I thought I would. Um, but you know, we, we did okay. I, I really, I mean, we, we sold out Arlene's grocery on a Wednesday night, which is a, which is a, was a popular place. We had a following, you know, and we probably did that more through our antics than through our music, but you know, it, it fell apart as these things do. And I was depressed or, or sad. I shouldn't say depressed. I was upset. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And there was this company that, um, Oh, you know, they're a lar larger, much, not a big corporation, but but a big company. And they had a division where the original founder would always do these startup things. And I had worked for a very short time at this company called uh, Spin the Bottle Productions, which um, produced a show called Pop-Up Video, which everyone used to know and no one knows anymore. It was a big show on VH1. I remember Pop-Up Video. Yeah, yeah. Uh. So I, yeah. So, so because of that, 
I got a job at this company and in the startup division, which was like, they were trying to do this entertainment product and it, and it didn't work, but they, I guess they thought I had some talent. So they shifted me into the parent company, which did the most brass tacks thing you could imagine. They, they ran um, call centers, like customer service centers, you know, answering the phone for big corporations. And, and I'm hardworking. I've always been hardworking and I'm not a dummy. So I did well there, you know, and I learned a lot for the first three years. I was there for eight because I started to make, I don't want to say I made money, but I made enough money that it made it hard to leave. And I was, you know, I liked getting the paycheck. I didn't know what else to do, but I, I became unhappy, like really unhappy. I was like, what was I put on this planet for? So then, um, uh, you know, my, my, my um, baby was on the way. And I remember having this revelation that like I was called a vice president of solution development and I was working ungodly hours and I did not know what this position meant. You know what I mean? And I wanted to be a novelist and a this and a that, a rock star. And I'm like, how am I going to tell my kid that I'm a vice president of solution development at a contact center company? You know, like I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. So, so I left. Um, and I, uh, so I used I started there what is now called content marketing division. By the time I left, I was reporting to the CMO, and I had seen this idea of using white papers to generate leads. You know what I mean? So I I built that at this company, and so it worked well, and I got really good at writing white papers, which was a hot marketing trend at the time, like 2011. And it was a very niche industry that has a lot of money involved in it, and I said. I know how to do these white papers and we never could get good writers. Like I would always, cause they don't understand the business. You know what I mean? So I had this thing, I could like write BPO. That's the name of the industry and telecom white papers. And I read somewhere that you could make like 3000 to $5,000 for one white paper. So I was like, if I can do this, if I can do one a week, I'll make the same amount of money I'm making now. But that was my awesome business plan. So um, that did not happen. And, um, I had like a year's worth of savings, but, but it was a way for me to become a writer again. You know, I'm like, I'm a business person. I don't want to be a business person. I want to be a writer, you know, and this is a way to make money as a writer. But, um, I got a few jobs and everyone liked my work, but I fell so short of that. I had no idea how to drive, you know, customers or get awareness. So, um, then basically what I started to do, I went back to my sort of punk rock roots after reading every marketing and sales book. And I was like, okay, like, who are the best marketers? It's like mischief makers, all these things about start funnels and landing pages. Those are great tools, but that's like saying I'm a master architect because I know how to use hammers and nails, you know, like something about it wasn't lining up. And I would think about these people who had this fundamental understanding of typing up stuff, of getting people really excited and, and driving action. So I started to learn about, you know, like the manager of the Sex Pistols. But then from the music thing, it went into like other cool stuff, like propaganda artists and cult leaders. And I said, is it able, am I able to use these tactics ethically? Like, are these really, really bad tactics? Because if they are, I'm not going to do it. I didn't leave a call center company to become a super villain. You know what I mean? I wanted to make a difference in the world. But if they're just things about mass psychology, what if I could test some of these concepts? So I started to do that out of desperation more than anything. It started to work and I built a successful freelance writing practice. But then, you know, the reason people get business writers is for marketing, to drive customers. They don't do it for the quality of your prose. So then people started to want the marketing and it turned into an agency. It turned into a business. So that was the journey. Wow. Wow. And I love I love the uh, reference this to the supervillain. Like, you know, back to the comic books. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think like, about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, like you had all these dreams. It's kind of interesting because we, we know, oh, I, I, you and I have crossed paths before, but yeah. you don't get a chance to really understand, like, what did people think they were going to be when they grew up? And you were like, right. I was going to be like a rock star writer. I love right. comic books. Like you were that kid. And then you ended up like being in charge of, you know, the customer experience at a call center. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, <laughs> I love this also this moment of like, how am I going to tell my kid this? <laughs> it was such a hallmark moment. Like it sounds so cheesy, but I, I really did. I was like imagining, and, and you know, it's true. I mean, I, I, my, my daughter is now 10 and I tell her what I do. And I usually frame it as being a writer because ultimately I do write. I have a book coming out. I oversee all the content and write the, the, the key pieces. I write for all these um, publications. 
And this business has allowed me to turn my words into something that makes change. So I can tell her that. And I'm very proud of that, you know, and, and if, I used to mumble when people would ask me what I do. I do this call center. Thing, uh, you know. That's you know, a sign. So, that's yeah, a sign, exactly. people. If you're listening and yeah. uh, and you mumble your way through that answer, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you probably overstayed your welcome at that particular job. But I but learned. It, I did learn. The three, I was a kid. I was very naive. I was very pie in the sky. And, and I... It was a tough environment. It was a. It was like management by screaming. It was not a touchy feely kind of place. That said, I needed some of that in my life. I learned how to conduct myself with clients. I learned how to talk to talk. I learned how to be very deadline focused. I, I wasn't particularly punctual before that. I'm like a machine now. You know what I mean? So I needed that experience. You're making it sound a little bit like going into the army. It was a little like that, honestly. I mean, it was like six days a week. It, it was hard. It was a crazy culture, but but I learned a lot. And I think that discipline and that self-awareness is really good when you're an entrepreneur and you don't have other people giving you deadlines. Right. right. So, And I also know what clients want. You know, like clients were so tough on us in that business that when I have people working for me now who kind of don't make deadlines, who don't, and they kind of just, oh, well, you know, it's, I, I, I have no tolerance for that. And I also know how to deliver for clients. Clients don't care. I mean, this is a cliche, but they really, really don't care about your excuses. Like if you're, if a truck drove into your house and you needed to deliver something to them, you got to go find a generator somewhere, plug in and get it done. And that's harsh, but it's, it's true. And I learned that at that, at that job. So. I like this uh, sort of naive view of entrepreneurship, which we all kind of ex- have, you know, probably experienced right. one way or another. This idea that like, I'll just sell one white paper a week <laughs> yeah, I know, yes. and I'll make 12 grand a month and yeah, boom, exactly. I'll be great. Um, but also this reference to golden handcuffs, you know, you didn't use that yeah. term, but I've, the, I've talked to a lot it. of friends. I've used it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely have friends who, who've struggled because like, they're trying to work on their their side hustle, but they don't really have a lot of time to do it because they're busy at the job. And it's like, how do you leave? But you you left. I should also say about that, I used to feel guilty because on the surface, my life wasn't so bad. You know what I mean? I went to nice restaurants. I, you know, there are people in the world who have to dig latrines to survive. And I used, to, when I would feel unfulfilled, it felt very first world problem to me. It was like, what right mm-hmm. do I have to complain about this, you know? So I had to work through that. I could totally relate to that. Yeah, yeah. I actually, the job that I was in before becoming like really focusing on entrepreneurship full-time, um, I didn't have any plans to leave it. Uh, you know, really? I, 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 yeah, I was there for a decade. And six years in, I was still saying, you know, they're going to carry me out for feet first. You know, what was the job out of curiosity? I organized 25, about 25 fundraising events a year for a nonprofit, okay. helped them raise, you know, a million dollars a year and really believed in the mission, loved the people yeah. I was working with. But, you know, eventually the people changed. The, the job, like the, the department turnover happened and I was the person who had 10 years experience and everyone else had less than a year's experience. And that, right. that starts to, you know, and, and more of what I was doing outside of work was pulling me out. Like you said, you really want to get back to the writing. That's, right. That was important to you to find a way to like bring that back to you. Right. In some ways, that, that eight years feels like a detour from your life's plan, but it taught you a lot that helped yeah. you going forward. But I also I, thought I'd be there forever. I used to feel sad. I was like, well, I guess life lost some of its spark. I was like, well, I guess this is the next 40 years, you know? <laughs> yeah. But entrepreneurship kind of came along, but then you had to listen. I, I heard that part you said about you know, you were thinking about writing, but then they were, they were, sorry, you were thinking of writing and they were thinking marketing and you had to make a decision about whether you wanted to follow that. What was that like? I think it was when I started to dislike writing again, because what I didn't realize about the life I was choosing as a freelance writer was that I, you had to take every job and they would often come at the same time. So I would be doing, I one time worked 31 days straight writing case studies and white papers and this and that. And then I had no work for a month and a half. You know what I mean? And it was just killing me. And I started to hate writing and it just didn't seem sustainable. I was like, I'm never going to get to do the big projects I really want to do because I'm going to be 
And, and those things are hard to write. A white paper is hard to write. It takes a week. It should be $5,000. You have to do all the research. I mean, it's tough. And so I just didn't see, it seemed, it became as much a grind as the other thing, but for different reasons. And then there was an opportunity, you know, with the, yeah. with the marketing. With the marketing. Yeah. 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 So it, it gave you a fresh look at what you were doing right? and gave a different kind of purpose. So it wasn't like a grind anymore. And you had to see something mm -hmm. through to fruition in a different way. That's fascinating. Also that you were doing this about 10 years ago and now, now you hear you find yourself, you, know, you got this book coming out, which is, you know, taking the lessons you learned in the process of building this, you know, I, I don't want to use the word bootstrap, but like, I'm thinking about how you like, yeah, it was, you know, yeah. you kind of self-funded your way into this yeah, whole I process did. and then, you know, had to use your, your skills with people, which is interesting because earlier you're saying like, you're kind of lean a little more introverted, like. Yeah, I think you're more of an ambivert, it sounds like, energy-wise. I guess I'm an ambivert. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm actually quite gregarious. I, I talk to cab drivers. I mean, you know, I, but but um, I just, I don't need, I need that refreshment time. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So ambivert seems like it may, may make sense. And also, being gregarious is on a different scale than than where you get your energy. Yeah. So you can be outgoing and, and still need the recovery time. I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. So when did you... Uh, like formally shift into this marketing? Is this, what year was that? I don't know the year, but I remember what it was like. So I was really getting, I was starting to see the flaws in my old business model. Uh, I was starting to get a lot of work, you know, but it was that thing that I just talked about. It was like trading time for dollars. I don't know when I made the decision, but I'm, I had the idea, first of all, for the way I could turn this into a market. Yeah, you know what it was? I, I think I know what happened. A couple of my freelance clients, I remember exactly what it was. One of my freelance clients, I don't know how I forgot this, started to ask for my advice a lot. And they asked me if I could consult, you know? So they were a company that did a really, really niche specific thing in the energy industry. Uh, it's called energy load forecasting. It took me like three conversations to understand. And they had a branch in Virginia and a branch in England. And the owner of the company who was in Virginia said to me, you know, they did marketing. I was writing stuff for like their trade booths. And that used to work for them really well. And because people do all their research online now, people don't use trade booth shows as much. They use it to network now. They don't use it to um, find products. They don't have to. So they were starting to do worse on that front. So they hired someone in England. They hired a head of business development in England. And the first thing that this guy did was bring in a digital marketing expert. So they said to me, they didn't really understand it. They wanted me to go there and sort of make sure that A, the British and American message were aligned, but more importantly, that this thing was worth anything. So I went over there and I sat in the meeting and um, I remember the first thing that appealed, that I thought was interesting, they were called like, I don't want to give the name, but that they had a name. It wasn't a person. You know what I mean? It was like, I'll, I'll make it up. I mean, red, you know, um, red dog marketing, you know, whatever. That wasn't it. But, and I quickly realized that it was literally a web designer and a freelancer, a freelance copywriter. And they weren't even in the same company. They were partners. So, and they were charging probably three times what I was charging just by having this logo and this name. So that was the first thing. The second thing was they did this whole rigmarole, this whole presentation, which was fine. And, and they left and I said, the guy, the business development guy said, what do you think? You know, and I said, do you want my real opinion or, or what? And he said, yeah, I go, well, I think you're going to end up with an awesome website. And I did, I mean, they were good web designers, but I said, like, your goal is to drive new business. Like, are they going to create ongoing content? Is it going to be on a regular basis? Is it going to have a unique point of view? Is it going to be contrarian? And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, how many blog posts? Because this was when blogs were, were big and driving search and all that. I said, how many blog posts can you do a month? And they said, well, you know, one. And I said, well, you just wasted your money. So I had this revelation that normally I would have gone home and complained to all my friends about how these people were ridiculous and they were spending wasting money. But I realized there w I was wrong. I was being really, um, you know, 
close-minded because these people weren't writers. They were, they were engineers, you know? So I had this idea. I said, listen, what if I created templates for you? I came up with a contrarian idea based on your ideas and I, I, a bunch of them. And I did an outline for every article and every engineer was responsible for sort of using my structure to create one article every month and a half or whatever. And they said they could do that. And it worked. I mean, it started to drive revenue. So I said, wow, this is interesting, like a structured approach to driving kind of contrarian to, to, you know, content so that you could grow your business. So that's where it started. And I was like, I, I need to do this thing. But then that was even a transition period. But that was exactly what gave me the idea. Yeah. I, I also love that this, you're sitting in this meeting, you're like, all right, so these these two freelancers, wait, I'm a yeah. freelancer. Yeah. Wait, they have a logo. And because of yeah. that, they're charging and a three, name. three times I was more. Like, I was like Michael F. Shine. And it was like, you're like yeah. a writer. You're like a guy for hire, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. And uh, is that, when did you happen upon Microfame? Microfame Media is like such a great name. It's both clever and clear. I have to give credit to a guy named David Michael Moore, who I still work with. He's a really awesome illustrator. Uh, and he does um, stuff in the marketing world. And I hired him for a bunch of stuff. And he, he told me he was going to start doing some branding work. And he, he did it for me. And um, he took me through this whole process and he realized that a lot of what I was talking about was fame, you know, was about, but, but not about fame across the, the boundary, you know, it, it, you know, not across every realm. It's like, find your niche of the internet in this new era and sort of blitz that, that niche with your contrarian point of view. So I don't know who came up with it, but we collaborated on this process and came up with it that way. And, and um, it's since become a term. I don't know if that was because of us or if it was independent, but it's, but it's become a term. So that's been really useful for us. So shout out to David. He's great. You guys should, you guys should hire him. That's and, he's awesome. not, and he's not paying me. So <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. I, I often uh, identify with the term sub liberty. <laughs> Explain. That's when, interesting. When you're really well known within a niche. Sub liberty. Liberty, like not so celebrity. Okay, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. I've never heard that. <laughs> I've been saying that for a long time. I like that a lot because uh, you know, b big within a certain tiny, tiny space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that micro fame. It's another another good use of it. <laughs> so when when you're thinking about your network, um, you know, you and I met uh, when you were you had me on your show, How to Talk to Anyone, and. Um, which I, lo I love the context of that show yeah. that you and Michael do. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you think about staying in touch and nurturing your connections. You know, just, you've met like so many people over the yeah. you know, last 10 years. And as you were starting your business, you were kind of probably leaning on the community you already knew and trying to figure how they fit in and all that. So I guess on a regular basis, what's your habits or philosophies or practices for nurturing and sustaining, not just the inner core group of people, but the, like second and third layers out, the people you might see once a year at a conference or you work with yeah. five years ago. Yeah, what are your thoughts? Now, this has been key for me. Um, it's funny, when years ago, Michael Roderick and I came up with the idea for Access to Anyone, you know, the podcast. You know, so Michael Roderick, for those of you who don't know who he is, he, he's the best connected person that I know, you know, like he, he just, and he does it in just a friendly, cool way. Like he's an expert on building relationships, but it's none of this, like, you know, hammer you over the head with networking kind of thing. Right. And he knows everybody and we became friends through the traditional channels, but I, I'd like to think that I'm a, a friend friend as well as just like a member of his network, you know, and we just had an idea because we both had different approaches to this to this concept of relationship building this thing that people call networking right or schmoozing which i like better uh, but, but um but um we're like yeah you know you're such an expert at it and i have my point of view let's start this show access to anyone and and it it became relatively popular i mean you were on it people it still exists i'm not on it anymore and i'll tell you what happened with that and i know i'm talking around the topic but but this just just talks Basically, I loved doing that show and it was really hard for me to step away. But I realized that it was off brand, if you want to use that term for me, or it became off brand because 
the way I frame this thing called networking and the way Michael does, they're probably the exact same thing, but we frame them very differently. And that's important, right? When you're talking about branding and marketing, he is very much, and we used to joke about this, the light side of the force. You know what I mean? Like he's very much about give to receive, be generous, you know, um, all of this stuff. And, and frankly, I'm the same way. I believe in that too, but that's his sort of MO. Now he's doing this thing, referable brand, which is all about be, have your brand be so awesome and light and want, not light, but, you know, just give so much good to the world that it's being shared. What I became attracted to and the way I framed it was what I call the dark side. And it's really not, it's not immoral, but I frame it in terms of hype. So I, it's this whole sort of punk rock vibe of like, you know, be a mischief maker, right? And the tone of the show is much more Michael Roderick's tone. And, and that's partially just because I hadn't figured out who I was yet. I hadn't figured out exactly what I was doing. So the way I think of it, and I think it's two ways of saying the same thing, is the people who really, that I call hype artists, and I consider hype a, people use that, have always considered that a negative term. I've taken it back. I think it's a completely neutral term that can be used for good or evil. And like in hip hop, you know, the hype man. I think that what the best hype artists do almost to a one is they make their success and the following they build seem grassroots. Like it just bubbled up from nowhere. But under the surface, they've always built this secret society of string pullers. You know what I mean? So, you know, you look at someone like, I don't know, Tucker Max, who wanted to shift from being this, you know, Lefario, you know, or whatever, you know, teach, I'll teach you how to seduce women and get drunk kind of thing to being this venture capitalist business person and marketer and help you write books using a formula. And he, he made it look like it just grew up out of nowhere. What he really did though, he called all his friends, James Altucher, Ryan Holiday, all these people and said, promote my stuff. You know what I mean? And they did a million dollars of revenue in, in, I don't know, a couple months. So that's how I frame it. I think it comes down to the same stuff though. I think what it comes down to is be the person that everyone's happy to hear from when you call and don't do it in a obviously obnoxious trading favors kind of way. So, you know, uh, one thing I do is I'll, I'll monitor social media and look for people who have common interests in me. And the reason it doesn't feel cynical is because I like to talk to these people about common interests. You know what I mean? Like, so if someone's into a band, I like, if someone's into a team, I like, if someone's into a book, I like talk to them about that. They get hit up for business requests all day long. Can I pick your brain or whatever? Talk, they're still human beings, right? So, so start with that. And then the other thing, all that stuff is true about do for people and don't do, I mean, I'm sure 98% of the people on your show say this. So once you've connected with these people, see what you can do for them. Use things, give them things that are cheap for you, that are valuable for them. You know what I mean? So something, you might have a connection with somebody or be able to do a favor for them or for their kid or whatever. That's just really easy for you to do, but it would mean the world to them. Do that stuff. And then I try to stay organized about it. I don't just do it when I feel like it. I have a grid. I mean, I try to do two to five of these favors per week with no expectation. I, I, I don't, I just do it for whoever. I just need to meet my number with the idea that then I become the person everyone's happy to hear from. I become in this secret society under the surface where, you know, everyone's happy to hear from each other and then things get done. You know, you can, you can get people to do things for you. All right, I definitely want to hear more about this grid, but I, I, I want to give it my own shout out to Michael Roderick. Um, he's amazing. I did have him on my show. I'm trying to come up with what episode that was. So I will make sure the link to his show is in the show notes. Um, you know, I met him. Oh, okay, here it is. It's episode 73. So it was a long, long time ago. Uh, wow. Actually, 2017. <laughs> December wow. of 2017. So we're going back a few years. But... Um, but I met him through Dory Clark, who's another great person that I'm always talking about on the show. She's a friend of mine as, as well. She's, she's great. She's a friend she's of everybody. She's had a huge yeah. influence. Her, her yeah. and Michael, they do know all of the world um, yeah. <laughs> together. Um, so, yeah, and I think this, I love you joking about this, like light and dark, but, you know, <laughs> there is sort of like the give for give's sake and like not worry about in return versus like how people relate to the word hype. And I get that, the idea of reclaiming, because I use the word schmooze in my in my branding yeah. and schmooze is a word that people yeah. can see in a really kind of slimy salesy kind of way. hundred percent. And I'm like, I don't, 
I don't see it that way because I like you. It's like a tool. Like right. you, you know, hammer is a hammer, and right. how you use it matters. So totally, I just want to say I totally get that, and that you're um, you're trying to learn from what people do and name it. I, I think it also that attracts certain people. You know, everyone can't be the same, right? Because then we we all we don't all need the same thing. So there are going to be people who are going to be really attracted to the way you're talking about these relationship building and what are the mischief makers are doing and hype artists are doing and how they're like setting all that up and thinking like about the value of that. And a lot of it actually makes me think about all these JV partnerships that are happening. I feel like mm -hmm. the, the JV partnerships fall more on what you do in some ways, like than than the other brand of this. I, I think such so. a fine line. It's, it's interesting distinction. And now I want to know about this, this grid, because I think the organized people of the world have systems and they don't think of it as difficult. And then those of us who struggle to find the right tool or app or process can't even imagine having anything that would work. So how, how simple or complicated do you think this is? And, and how could people build something on their own that might replicate it? Insanely simple to a fault because I probably fall in the camp that you don't think I'm in. I've always struggled with disorganization. So when I when I was in, um, which has hurt me, you know. I mean, I think at times it's it's made things go slower than than it could have, and I've I've done what I've done in spite of it, you know. So um, I, in sixth grade, in my English class, my English teacher, who I was definitely like a, a class favorite of used to call my desk the disaster zone, you know, and she would say I would I would criticize him more about it if it affected his work. And she probably should have criticized me more about it, you know. So I guess the way I've worked around this stuff, and I'm not good with technology, ironically, because I do so much with digital marketing, but I rely on other people. I'm not a gadget guy. It took me a long time to even have an iPhone, you know, whatever. So um, the way I get around it is not being afraid to leave some stuff on the table. I, I don't have a CRM tool. I've tried a bunch of them. I mean, I invested in Salesforce. I abandoned that after three weeks, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I'm not good with that stuff. So it's a spreadsheet. I mean, it's an Excel sheet and, and it's, it's, it just keeps me on track. I mean, cause I, I'm big on lists. I, I still have notebooks, you know, I make like lists of my favorite books and stuff just for fun. I don't know why I do that, but um, so I make a list. It's like a game. I, I, you know, if I'm trying to do two favors or introductions or whatever a week or three weeks, it just becomes a discipline, like, like writing every morning or working out or whatever. I, I just try to hit my goal. So I would write, you know, Robbie slash Dory, if you didn't know her introduced, you know, with the date and that's it. And so do you have a list of names you're starting from so that you, you're always kind of thinking about the same I don't know, 50 people or something? No, and I think that's what makes it not evil. You know what I mean? I, I joke that it's the dark side, but I, I think that if you're like, okay, I have these 50 people and I'm going to like do favors for them because I have every intention on calling back the favors, you know, in three months. Not only do I think that's a little slimy, I also think it's kind of ineffective. I think you just have to meet as many people as possible and open your arms to the world and assume that it's going to happen. And you can be a little strategic. I mean, you know, I, I would say that if you're in the arts and entertainment business, having 98% of the people you network with be engineers is probably not wise, but there should be a few engineers. And, and I'll give you an example. So there's this, this guy who was an intern when I first started the business. So it was like 10 years ago. And 10 years is a, is a lot more when you're 22 than when you're 32, right? So he was 22, just out of college. He might've been 20, I don't know. No, he was 20, cause he's 30 now. And um, he was an intern, you know? I mean, he was in college and I just could tell he was smart and I liked him and we were both from Philly and we talked about the Phillies. I mean, I don't know. So I just liked the guy. And I could see something there. He was like real smart and he was ambitious and he wanted to be a journalist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just sort of kept in touch with him. And when he was doing stuff, I would, I would, I would introduce him to people and not ever all the time. I mean, but I, you know, I host dinners in the city or I did until seven months ago and I'd invite him, you know, and I had no vested interest. I mean, I, I Dory comes to those dinners. Uh, you should come to one at one point. There have been captains of industry at those dinners. You know what I mean? I mean, Dave Siegel, the CEO of Meetup, you know, I think has been, but I would invite him. So he, he just a month ago, he 
emails me and I've seen his rise, whatever. He emails me, hey, when is your book coming out? I want to pre-order a copy. Okay, I told him. The next day I see on LinkedIn his status, which is to senior editor at Business Insider. So he's going to publish an excerpt. Wow. So I don't know, take from that what you will. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think if you're doing things not with a, not with a transactional approach, sometimes things, sometimes it's more immediate. Sometimes it's these long-term relationships because you just believe in people. Yeah. Um, uh, Andy Malinsky has a podcast um, from the boardroom, from sorry, from the dorm room to the boardroom. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, will you come on the show? I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll come on your show. Uh, talk about networking. And I was like, okay, you know, so college students are not my market, you know, yeah. so in, my, in my head. I was like, whatever. That's yeah, yeah. sure. Whatever. I, I yeah, like you. I'll do it. Why not? I'll ta- why not? Yeah. I'll talk about anything. I, I love, I love talking about networking. The, the dude writes for Forbes and yeah, he writes exactly. about me in right. Forbes. You know what right. I mean? Like, right. it, and, and I don't know that going in, which is probably good, right? Like, I think, I think when we're doing things because you like the people and then good things come from that. Yeah. That's a relationship. Yeah. And that's, and here I am giving him a shout out because I think what he's doing is pretty cool, you know? <laughs> so, and I, and I think being driven by interest and curiosity though is important. Like, I think like there's one thing just having friends that you enjoy having a drink with, but, but I do think there's something like if you think someone's a cool author or running a cool business or did something you admire, I think that's a good way to drive it. That's sort of the, the careerist point, which I think careerist in a positive way, like, everyone has friends. I mean, you could hang out with your friends from when you were a kid, but that's not the same thing. So if someone is fascinating to you, they're probably doing cool stuff that might be helpful in some way. Well, I also will say that it's helpful to be someone that is known for something. And this Mm -hmm. goes back to Michael Roderick's point about being referable. Because I I bet you that now that you know what I do in the world currently, as opposed to when you first met me, that it will trigger different thoughts about who to introduce me to. No question. And if I hadn't gone through the effort of updating my content in the world, I'm going to wrap up your whole story right here. If I didn't have new content going out that re- like reflected what I was now doing around Zoom, you wouldn't know about that. And, you, the, and I probably would not come to mind at all. And if I did, it would be for not my current stuff. That's right. And, and that's sort of like, I think the content sort of management of this piece, the marketing piece, we all, you know, we're all thinking about that for ourselves, no matter who we are in the world. All right. Yeah, here's my, right. F- my favorite wrap up question for you, Michael. <laughs> I know we're going to stay in touch, but let's say it's a year from now. And uh, I'm asking you to tell me like about your amazing year that you just had. And we're celebrating all of your successes. What is it that you were going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to having had happened in this current year ahead i think it's mostly about the book on a couple levels so i have this book coming out the hype handbook as i told you as much as i'm a business person i was a writer first and i'm I'm a writer in my heart and i've i had this idea five years ago and um i don't know if i'm shooting myself in the foot by saying this because i seem vulnerable. It's good to make it seem like everything comes easy. Maybe that's what Robert Greene would say. But, you know, I had two literary agents before the one I have now. They were big literary agents. None of them could sell the thing. Uh, People would write back notes that said, I love this, but I love this, but I love this, but I tried to get the sales team to buy in it, you know, and I couldn't, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, my current agent sold it and I couldn't be happier with the result because I love you know, my editor at McGraw-Hill and they're doing a great job of supporting it. And I've gotten a lot of attention for it, you know, in, in the press and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, as much as I'll always run the agency, I think, although you never know, to have the book take on a life to for, for people to really learn about it and then for that to lead to other opportunities um, and to have people saying, you know what, I... Um, use these ideas and now I see the way the world really works. And I had this really awesome startup or really awesome novel or whatever that makes the world a better place. And I was able to get it out into the world by using these concepts. That would mean that would be a good year, you know? 
Gosh, I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. That would be Thank a you. good year, knowing yeah. that you had that impact on people's lives. Yeah, Fascinating. So, so Michael, how can people find you and follow your work? Well, um, to be a total um, you know, pitch man right now, please buy my book if you're at all interested, because that'll help my year, you know? <laughs> so the high pan book uh, is, yeah, I mean, if you can make it happen through a local bookstore, please do. But with the world being weird the way it is now, I don't know how many, you know, some bookstores carry it, some don't. It's certainly available through through Amazon, you know, in those kind of places. But yeah, I mean, traditionally, um, you know, my business is Microfame Media. So it's microfamemedia.com. Um, my website is michaelfshine.com. It's always weird when you're when you're giving URLs online because there's all these spellings, but you know, it's Michael F S C H E I N. And then there's something else that I do that I think is kind of fun. Um, it's called the the Hype Book Club. So basically, I'm always reading these sort of wacky but really good books that most people don't read that teach you more about self-promotion than um, most typical marketing books. So they could be biographies of really out there characters or, or books about group psychology, all readable. Um, and I have a list that I put out regularly called the Hype Book Club and or the Hype Book List. The name kind of goes back and forth. But um, that's um, that's uh, hypereads.com slash list. So those are all good places. And you can also always email me, mfs at microfamemedia.com. I like to talk to people. Oh, I do like to talk to people. That much I know. Michael, thank <laughs> you for sharing all those resources. We will add them to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you for having this great conversation with us. This was a real pleasure. It was everything, you know, I was hoping it would be and more. So thank you, Robbie. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 224. That's also you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you feel like you're always you know, a bit frazzled when searching for files, or there's not enough time in the day to get everything done, I suggest connecting with my coach, Mary Williams of Sensible Woo. Whether technology has not been your friend or you're feeling like you're not using the tech you have very effectively, Mary can assist. I'm working with her one-on-one, -on -one, but she's got a lot of great courses to help you get started. Check them all out at robbysamuels.com forward slash sensible woo. And if you don't know where to start, sign up for her free how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich course. <laughs> yeah, you heard that right. It's her free how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich course. If you enjoyed this episode with Michael, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.